Welcome to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries, an organization that exists to connect the Christian faith with the realities of everyday life. As always and ever, I'm Scott Jones, your co-host, and in just a few moments, I'll be joined by Jacob Smith, the rector at Calvary St. George's Episcopal Church in New York City. Each week, Jake and I will endeavor to have a grace-infused cosmopolitan conversation about the lectionary texts for the week. We'll do our best to help both pastors and churchgoers alike to connect the same old song of God's redeeming grace to what feels like an ever-changing and confusing world. And we'll do it all in 25 minutes or less. Jake, here we are once again, the singing the same old song in Lent. And I have a few things of housekeeping to do before we really get into things. First of all, my wife, Lindy, pointed out to me that I, I actually got the name of the facial cleanser wrong. It's not Neutrogena. It's Noxzema. Oh, Noxzema. So, it's Noxzema. It's a white cream. It's got a pepperminty smell. It's in, it looks like a cold cream kind of jar. So if you want to keep your face not looking sullen like the religious hypocrites, you don't put soap on it. Don't put soap on it. Nor Neutrogena. Nor Neutrogena. Now, also, I just, you know, Carl Bart said that you should read the Bible. You should, you should, you should have the Bible in one hand and newspaper in the other. So I figured I had a little newspaper segment. You know, this is, there's all this controversy with Russians and the government hacking elections. But I just want you to know that uh, there, this is really telling of Russia's place in the world right now and its economic stability or lack thereof. It just was leaked today that at a recent Russian embassy event in D.C., the Russians were serving Kirkland vodka from Costco. So things are, you know, I mean, the, uh, the foundations are shaking. I mean, what, is, what, I mean, whatever, you'd think James Bond would have stuck around an event if, at, at the Russian embassy if they were serving Costco, the Kirkland vodka. I mean, that is just, <laughs> that so let's it, keep the Russians in our prayers. Well, it, it may be a sign of the end times, if anything. It so, could be. I mean, what's going on in the news? I, I've always been a, uh, I've always been a convinced and convicted amillennialist. Um, but, uh, all of this stuff going on in the papers making me wonder. So, uh, um, here we go. And the Russians are now serving Kirkland vodka at their embassy. Um, ah, what's this world coming to? So anyway, this week's episode is brought to you by Kirkland Vodka, and uh, we're really excited about it. And we are in Lent 2, and so uh, and at Lent 2, uh, we are moving towards uh, Jesus and his Passion and Holy Week. And uh, we begin, um, and really the, one of the themes of this season of Lent, year A, is the idea of covenants, and God making covenants with people, and uh the, the lectionary gives us just a little glimpse of what these covenants are, and so we jump right in to kind of the start of the covenant in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, with, uh, with Abraham. Absolutely. We, we, if, uh, and now there are, you know, he is called Abram here, and later his name is changed to Abraham, but that's just like, if Abram means daddy, Abraham is like big daddy. So it's just That's like right. a translation, <laughs> big daddy A, not big daddy Cain, big daddy A. The, you know, it's really interesting though, but when we talk about covenants, um, there's a distinction between a covenant and a contract. And uh, a, a contract is based on trust and it's based on you do your part and uh, then I'll do mine. And uh, contracts are 50-50. Uh, but a covenant is uh, is uh, based on not only trust, and uh, it also involves uh, vulnerability and uh, the failure oftentimes for one party to fulfill the other end. 
But uh, we begin to see the uh, the kind of terms of this covenant that uh, that God begins to make with Abraham here, and there's really uh, four parts to it. Um, the first is is that um, he says, <clears throat> one, I will make you a great nation. Two, I will bless you, and uh, then uh, three, your name will be great, and all of this is to happen so that you will be a blessing. And uh, we really begin to see that it's not, if you be a blessing, then I'm going to make you a great nation, then I'm going to uh, bless you, then I'm going to make your name great. It's always God gives right at the beginning. Yeah, and I think also, like, we should look at the context of this passage, the call of the call of Abraham. You know, when you, you might, if you're preaching this, I mean, it's worth mentioning Joshua 24, where Joshua says to the Israelites, long ago, your forefathers, even Terah, Abram, and Nahor, lived beyond the river and worshipped other gods. But the Lord took your father Abraham out of the land beyond the river. So I feel like, you know, Mm. here we have this... I remember I was speaking one time at a senior's home in, in, in a really nice one in central New Jersey, and they brought in speakers, and they, they, they wanted three panelists to talk about the call of Abraham. There was a Jewish guy, a rabbi, really a cool guy, and a Muslim lay person, both lovely people. And me, I know I was the token, I was the Christian, and I, you know, people were least, least interested in what I was going to say because I was the most familiar. But what was interesting is that for both the Islamic guy – and the rabbi, Abraham was an exemplar. Now, in the Islamic mm-hmm. tradition, Abraham is smashing idols and gets mm-hmm. run out, out of, um, uh, you know, out of this, out of the pagan land, Ur of the Chaldeans, where there's this obelisk to lunar worship. I think. Mm-hmm. Well, he gets run out with Ishmael, and it, and the way the rabbi said he was a real mensch. God was looking to redeem things, you know, and he found this mensch and he called. And really, like I, I said, you know, I just think the text on, on face value, Sarai is barren. Mm. And barrenness was a sign of curse. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, infertility is painful for any couple. Yeah, uh, but I think all the more so in the ancient world. And the fact that that they're sort of spiritually dead, they're worshiping. It seems like the promise is dying out. Like you know, if you go through Genesis one through eleven, it's this tension between you know the blessing and 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 the curse. You know, the promise and sin and cr- choking out that seed. And it looks like things are extinguished. And from mm. the, the spiritual and physical barrenness, God brings a new Adam and Eve. But, he's, but just like it's a new creation moment, just like God spoke creation into being, God speaks new creation, re- redemption into being. And Abraham and Sarah contribute nothing That's right. to it except reception. Amen. That's really good. And, uh, and as a result of that, all the families of the world are blessed because out of them comes the one true seed, the one true Israelite. Absolutely. Oh, God said to Abraham, kill me a son. Abe said, man, you must be putting me on. God said, no. Abe said, what? God said, you can do what you want, Abe, but the next time you see me coming, you better run. Which takes us on to... Romans chapter 4, verses 1 Romans through 5, four. and then 13 through 17. And really, this is uh, one of the key uh, passages. Well, I mean, the entire book of Romans is is key to understanding Christianity. Christianity. It is... Um, 
it is it's a it's a powerful book and here basically we begin to see what uh faith is all about and how righteousness comes about yeah and how does that come about jake lay it on us baby <laughs> well i think um um it comes by believing what god has said when god speaks um uh we believe now how does that come because that can kind of sound begin to sound a lot like our work but uh, belief and faith is a gift given to God, given by God to believe him at his word, despite all evidence to the contrary. So you go back to Abraham. Here he is. He's living in Ur of the Chaldeans, a moon worshiper doing his thing. He has a barren wife who's completely cursed, um, you know, or at least that's the perception. And, uh, and God says, uh, leave this place and I will make you, uh, the father of many nations. And through you, despite what it looks like, you, um, despite the fact that it looks like you're cursed, you are going to be a blessing to all the nations. And, uh, Abraham was given this gift to believe God despite all evidence to the contrary. And this was credited to him as righteousness. Yeah, absolutely. And I think he did. Is, he did nothing to earn it. He did nothing to earn it. Yeah, and I think that that you know, yeah, and he's here I mean, elsewhere. You, you have the passage right. He hopes against hope, and so it, it's almost like faith here involves uh, you know doubt, receiving the, the grace of God to doubt your own doubts, mm-hmm. to doubt to doubt what seems obviously true about you in your eyes, in the world's eyes. You know, to actually, in, in the law's eyes, to 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 actually move beyond a perception of yourself that is from the eyes of the flesh, mm. and instead see it with you know the the eyes of the spirit. Absolutely. You know, there's a really interesting thing about um, uh, faith that Andrew Sullivan wrote about recently, and he has this new column he's writing on Fridays. He said, I should guess I should start by saying this is not a blog, nor is it what, what one might call a column. It's an experiment of sorts to see if there's something in between those two. Most Fridays from now I'll be writing in the space about, among other things, the end of Western civilization, <laughs> the collapse of the Republican, yes, my beagles. But then at the end, after talking about the nature of truth and deception in a, in a post-fact world, he talks about how he's seen the movie Silent several times. And he says this about um, faith which I think is, is great for anybody preaching on this passage. He says, for some secular liberals, faith is some kind of easy, simple abdication of reason, a liberation from reality. For Scorsese, it's a riddle wrapped in a mystery and often inseparable from crippling perpetual doubt. Mm. You see this in the main protagonist evolution in the film Silence. From a certain absolutist arrogance to a long sacrifice of pride toward a deep, deeper spiritual truth, Faith is a result in the end of living, of seeing your previous certainties crumble and be rebuilt shakily on new grounds. God is almost always silent, hidden, and sometimes most painfully so in the face of hideous injustice or suffering. A life of faith is therefore not real unless it is riddled with despair. There are moments, surprisingly rare but often indelible, when you do hear the voice of God and see the face of Jesus. You never forget them, and I count those few moments in my life when I have heard the voice and seen the face as mere intimations of what is to come. Mm. But the rest is indeed silence, and the conscience is something that can not sometimes hear itself. I've rarely seen the depth of this truth more beautifully unpacked, which is why perhaps the movie has had such a tiny audience. Those without faith have no patience for a long meditation on it. 
those with faith in our time are filled too often with a passionate certainty to appreciate it. And, and this mo- movie's mysterious imagery can confound anyone, but its very complexity and subtlety gave me hope in this vulgar, extremist time. Mm. We cannot avoid the sur- surreality around us, but it may be possible occasionally to transcend it. Wow. And I love that. You think about Abr- Abram and Sarai, you know, and, and, and this faith wrecked them as, as righteousness, their own trust in, in God's righteousness, not their own. And God's faithfulness and not their own. And yet there was probably, there were, we just have the highlights of the story. Yeah. And there were, there were undoubtedly decades of silence, you know, where, where God, where, where God's voice, even in Abraham's life is it, 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 the father of, of the, of Western monotheism, it, you know, even he, it, his story is punctuated or is, is probably mostly silence with, with, respect to hearing from God lots of days. Well, and I love that. That's the earthiness of Genesis is that we do get glimpses of it. For example, when he he prays and he says, you know, just work through my servant, you know what I mean? And uh, let him be my heir. Come on, let's get this going. And um, or uh, when he um, or when him and Sarai take us take uh, matters into their own hands and uh you know the um they have a uh, he takes hagar and uh, and uh, they have ishmael and uh, and the pickle that that causes but nonetheless god is at work in the midst of this of the pickle and uh just speaking about um kind of devotions and where people are at there's a great um devotion written by uh the reverend david browder who's the rector at st thomas episcopal church in houston texas in the mockingbird blog thinking about romans chapter 4 he says because so often, you know, there is just silence, and, and we wonder what God is doing. And, um, and so he writes this at the end of his devotion. The good news of justification by grace alone, through faith alone. It is exactly the inverse to the cruel, manipulative language of achievement. So he says, when my friend's paralysis took him to a dark cave, he helplessly watched his own heart inside him die. Feeling and alone and doomed, he found company in Jesus Christ in his cross who made his home in that self-same cave, with the dysfunctional paralyzed and hurt. When the world walks out on us muttering pitiful, our Lord turns to us and says, Surely I'm with you, even to the ends of the days. Amen to that. Have you come here to play Jesus? And let's go to the words of the Lord in John chapter 3. Yeah, John chapter 3. Well, this is probably uh, one of the, um, contains one of the most famous verses in Scripture that we see at every Super Bowl, John three sixteen, And uh, there Jesus exactly. <laughs> and there Jesus is, and he's meeting with um, one of the disciples, um, uh, or not disciples, one of the teachers of the law, Nicodemus, in the middle of the night, because Nicodemus is a little embarrassed to be seen with Jesus. And here they begin to talk, and they begin to have a theological discussion. That's a good church growth strategy, especially if you're in New York or Blue State Metro area, people are a little scandalized by faith. Just have church services in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah. No one sees you're coming and going. <laughs> yeah, you can go a little back and forth, a little dialogue sermon, and, you know, there you go. Yeah. Well, I love I love this, though, because this really um, 
This it really brings up kind of a connects to the point that you made about the certainty kind of, of that people feel or the the lack of need for faith at all, uh, and uh, we often see this kind of in in the life of the church in the time in terms of our theological debates or in terms of prayer or in terms of anything we can turn it into a deflection from really getting at the issue, and you see that this is what's happening in the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. Uh, Jesus lays out, you know. Uh, uh, Nicodemus pays him homage and says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. So he's paying him a little flatterly, flattery, and Jesus answers, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. And opposed, as opposed to getting at kind of the, 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 the heart of the matter, which Jesus is getting to, Nicodemus deflects, and he wants to talk about the birth process. And, uh, and I think that this is just as a real interesting response to the, how the world kind of handles, um, handles itself when it is confronted with the truth of faith and the power of the gospel. Yeah, in, in, in Dale Bruner's commentary on the Gospel of John, which I think is one of the best commentaries on any book, just as far as a model of how to write a commentary, but he says this, Amen, 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 amen. I want to tell you something very important. Unless an individual is born all over again from above, that person cannot even see the kingdom of God. Luther is clear about one thing. Christ's words are as if to say, no, my dear Nicodemus, I am not moved by your beautiful words. Yeah. You must give up your old life and become a new man. And this new newness, Luther notices rightly in Jesus' words, is not concerning what you must do or not do, but concerning what you must become. It aims not at the performance of new works, but at first at being born anew, not at a different life, but at a different birth. Mm. Calvin is, is also the point, by the term born, born again, he means not the amendment of a part, but the renewal of the whole human nature. Boltmann sees the meaning of Jesus' birth, rebirth challenge in a comparable but refreshingly modern way. Thus, right at the beginning of the conversation, it is stated uncompromisingly that man as he is is excluded from salvation, from the sphere of God. For man as he is, there is no possibility of it. Yet at the same time, it is said in such a way that a hint is given that salvation may be a possibility for him inasmuch as it is possible for him to become another man, Mm. a new man. The saying of Jesus about rebirth also contains an injunction not, however, of a moralistic sort, but rather the injunction to put oneself in question. Absolutely. And what's interesting, though, is is that this being born anew comes from a place that no one would dare want to look. And here Jesus brings this in by using the illustration of Moses and the serpent um, as as the illustration of this truth. And that if you hearken back to Exodus and putting this in the context, this is where uh, the people of Israel have been attacked by serpents and everybody's dying. And the only way they can be saved is to look upon the rod with the serpent on it. And uh, this is where we, the medical community got their symbol. But it's this very thing that none of us want to look at, this very ugly thing of a crucified Jew on a cross, 
is by which the salvation of the world is found. And this ultimately, as we were talking about, faith is not something that's conjured up. It's a gift that it's not hanging your brain up at the door. It's a gift that has to be given because to believe this on our own is completely counterintuitive. It's not even within our nature to believe it. Yeah, Frank Lake says in clinical theology, he talks about the thief on the cross. Now, sometimes what faith is, is just a desperate gaze mm. in a counterintuitive direction. Mm. And, that it's, mm. and also, just for the preachers here, homiletically, there's another great little gem in, in Bruner's commentary. He says that, um, he said he once saw the verse laid out, something like this, God, the greatest subject ever, so much, the greatest extent ever, loved, the greatest affection ever, the world, the greatest object ever, that he gave his one and only son, the greatest gift ever, so that every single individual, whoever, the greatest opportunity ever, who is simply entrusting oneself to him, the greatest commitment ever, would never be destroyed, the greatest rescue ever, but would even now have a deep, lasting life, the greatest promise ever. Ah. Golly, that is great. It is good. I will put it in the show notes. I that's, think that's a good yeah. uh, And indeed, and, and that, that, that brings to the conclusion of this uh, particular part of our devotion. But it begins, and this is very important too, to remember that God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And I think that this is a big uh, misunderstanding a lot of people have. They Everybody loves John 3.16, but uh, John 3.17 is where the real is where a real promise is found also, that God has not come into the world in Jesus to ever condemn, but he is always coming to save. He's not the new Moses, he's greater than Moses, and uh, by faith in him and his work alone, righteousness is credited to you. I, I, th- I think this is kind of ultimately how like faith faith works and plays itself out, is that ultimately faith not only, as we talked about last week, faith not only... Co- connects us to the passive righteousness of Jesus, um, which makes us and credits us as sinless, but it connects us to the active righteousness of Jesus, which credits us as righteous. And so, you know, you see in the work there that Jesus has come not ever to condemn, but to save by making us righteous and sinless through his perfect work alone. Yeah, the judge judged in our place who renders generous judgment for sinners and saves us. Amen to that. See you next week. Thanks for listening to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. To find out more about Mockingbird, go to our website, mbird.com. If you like what you heard, please go over to iTunes, give us a rating, and write a review, hopefully a favorable one. It helps so much. And maybe share it with a friend via social media media. If you have thoughts, comments, or questions, feel free to email me at scottjones at mbird.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next week.